Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. Hello, Creative Giants. I'm delighted to have Allie Luke for episode 36 of the Creative Giant Show. Before I begin, I want to say that Allie is one of my favorite people, and she's been a regular contributor to Productive Flourishing for years. She's a jewel, and I'm excited for you to learn about her, too. Allie is the author of Publishing Ebooks for Dummies and Lycopolis, which is a novel, and she blogs about the art, craft, and business of writing at Allie Ventures. She's a prolific writer and also runs a teaching community site for writers called The Writer's Huddle. She empowers writers to write their own future, whether that be through blogging, guest blogging, or self-publishing ebooks and books. Allie became a writing phenomenon through an uncommon route, staff and guest blogging. She started writing online um, in 2008 and has since become a regular voice on sites like Copyblogger, Write to Done, Men with Pens, The Creative Pen, Problogger, and Daily Blog Tits, not to mention Productive Flourishing. And she's used her exposure there to build and grow her business and advance her own writing. She's now working through the challenges of being a working writer, a mother, and entrepreneur with young kids underfoot and rebuilding her brand after having those kids. Allie, thanks so much for the work you do and for being on the show today. Thanks so much for having me here, Charlie. It's a, a real pleasure and privilege. Alrighty. You know me, I like to go back to origins and so people can see how we start these things. So take us back to um, how you started um, your online writing, because you've been writing off and on since your early teens. But really, how did you make a go of it um, as a career? So I guess I came across the idea of blogging uh, as a undergraduate student at university. So this was about 2003, 2004. Uh, back then, blogging, at least as far as I could see, was just keeping a diary online. Mine was really boring. It was, you know, full of little moans about student life, like people in Nick My Milk. <laughs> I don't think anybody read it. Maybe, you know, maybe my mum read it. <laughs> um, then a few a few years later, I, I graduated, 2006. I started working in IT, doing tech support for probably the world's most boring software. It was for uh, governments here, lo- local government here in the UK to track how efficient they are. It was it was it was really about literally about as boring as you could imagine. So it was not my dream job, but it taught me some of the techie stuff that has helped me just make a go of blogging and be confident with you know with things like setting up WordPress and and just getting on with things like that. So I I launched a blog um, the the very end of two thousand seven. Um, Got into that more in the start of 2008. Started doing some guest blogging and some staff blogging pretty much by accident. I just kind of fell into this and I was amazed that people would pay me to write blog posts. And it took me five or six months to just build that up to the point where I I took a leap of faith and quit my day job. And I also started a master's in creative writing about the same time as that. So... Yeah, and just from then on, it's been a really exciting ride. Um, no two years have been the same. About every six months, I get bored and kind of change things around anyway. And having the freedom to work in the way that I choose, the freedom to do what I love, which is writing, despite the fact that it has meant not having the security of the monthly paycheck that I, I once had in IT, that has just been absolutely invaluable. And I can't imagine living any other way now. Cool. Well, you know, when you were doing staff blogging, guest blogging in 2008, it was still new enough in the industry that, like, it wasn't clear that it was going to be a long-term thing, right? So, um, how did you really know that that was going to be the way that you're going to go forward? Or were you creating stuff on the side and building up assets that way? Or just kind of talk us through that, because that's a big leap. Yeah, I don't think I really knew what I was doing. <laughs> no, I had... So I was also doing a little bit of work on things like setting up websites for basically kind of friends and people I'd known through my my work, my day job. Uh, I was just kind of cobbling together really whatever I could find that that would pay in terms of writing and stuff online. And I I did get into 
kind of building more assets in terms of I launched an ebook, I think the first time in 2009, that was, it was the staff blogging course. So I kind of taught people to do the stuff I'd done with blogging, which had very much by that point become my kind of bread and butter, you know, my, my regular work. I think maybe I just got into blogging in a good time when quite a few smaller sites were really taking off and hiring writers. And I suspect it is a bit harder to now break into that. Um, though then, you know, it's a more established industry. Uh, there are more sites out there. So if anybody's listening and wants to do that, please do give it a go. Yeah, it, it's probably harder if you're not Ali Luke, because everybody knows Ali Luke at this point. Um, but I still think there are a lot of possibilities because as content becomes more ubiquitous, we need more people writing great content. And I, we, you may or may not agree with me on this one, Ali. I think you're going to be on the side of agreeing with me that there's a dearth of really great content as much as there are you know, a bunch of websites out there. I think that's still the case. I mean, there, there are some sites with absolutely amazing content, you know, productive flourishing among them. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, you're welcome. And I think one of the great things for me is that, that blogging is a real leveler, you know, in, the, in traditional publishing, say. And this was my dream. For many, many years, my dream was, you know, I'd write a novel, I'd find an agent, I, I would kind of carry on from there. I just write fiction the whole time. But it's very, very hard to break into. Blogging, frankly, no one cares what your name is if you can write a good post. You know, I'm sure there are people listening who could write just as well as me. They could send their post to ProBlogger or Write to Done or where, where have you. And their post could stand alongside mine or anyone else's there. And often it's just the case of, of writers and, and bloggers and entrepreneurs having the courage to just send that material out. Because honestly, the size of your audience doesn't matter. I used to have guest posts to go up when I had no blog of my own active. Uh, so at one point, I didn't even blog at all for myself. I just sold ebooks and I blogged on other people's sites. And it was perfectly effective. So honestly, it's it's not like traditional publishing where people expect a track record of publication or, you know, you have to find an agent or something. You really can make a go of it just on your own. And and it really rests on your talents as a writer and, and your ability to, to produce, as you say, some great content, which is in many cases sorely lacking from the web. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're dancing around it. It's just that there's a lot of crap. I mean, that's the thing, <laughs> it, but there's really a lot of good stuff. It, the, the beauty of it, it is like the beauty of social media. We have this ability to connect with people and share ideas with people from around the world. And there's no gatekeepers, right? Um, they're, they're become more natural gatekeepers in the sense that like not every like, Brian Clark can't respond to everyone that wants to talk to Brian Clark, right? That becomes a problem, but um, it's not like we can't write him and throw something at him, which you should, by the way, if you're listening to this and you know who Brian Clark is, please do throw something at him and tell him I told you to do so. Um, I think I gave him a hug once. That might be a nicer way. <laughs> yeah, you could also hug him. Um, yeah. <laughs> Brian, Brian, listen to this. Like, what the hell, Charlie? Anyways, moving on. Um, so, you're... Doing this guest blog, well, so for staff blogging, explain staff blogging for for everyone just so they know what that is. Okay, so so staff blogging, which now I'd probably I'd probably just call paid blogging or something. It's it's being a member of staff essentially on a a blog or site. So you know, big sites like BuzzFeed have staff writers. Uh, I spend too much time on BuzzFeed. <laughs> um, but, but smaller sites have, have staff writers. I think Dumb Little Man, uh, one of the productivity blogs I wrote for, for, for gosh, several years, uh, I was basically a staff writer there. They had a bunch of us and we, we wrote posts. I think I usually wrote about one a week for them. Um, so it's a bit like being a columnist for a newspaper or something, except it's, it's, it's kind of much more effortless. You know, you just tend to write your post, put it up, the editor changes a few words, out it goes, you get paid. And because blogs need a constant stream of content, you know, most of the places I worked for, they wanted a post a week or two posts a month or one a month. And if you get a bunch of those little jobs, you know, they add up to, to a decent living. So I'm going to ask the question that a lot of writers have probably asked you. Is it fun, though, to wake up and know that you've got to write like all of these different little posts for people all over the, all over the place? Absolutely. Well, I mean, I love it. Um, I think it depends what kind of writer you are, because some people really thrive on on going very deep into something, having a lot of time to choose their words. I mean, maybe they're kind of inclined to be poets. Maybe they're, they're short story writers. They're really into the art side of the writing. And that's fantastic. I mean, I've known some brilliant writers, particularly on my MA course, who are like that. I like to write fast. I like to get my ideas out there. I, in many ways, I think things through by writing them. So 
a lot of my blog posts, particularly my sort of productivity, personal development, self-improvement ones, are kind of really about struggles that I have had or am having. They're sort of my advice to myself or or the things that I have been kind of thinking through in the writing. And so for me, it's a really satisfying process. You know, I write a post, it's done, I've I've completed something, I've made something in the world, it can go out there, it can be published. And yeah, I, I, I think I would be miserable without being able to do that. When you switched to from writing, you know, a bunch of blog posts and then maybe some shorter ebooks, and by ebooks, Ali and I mean in this context, like the pretty PDFs, not the Kindle books that you might buy from Amazon, right? That came later. Um, but did you have a struggle going from those forms of writing to, say, writing um, your dummies book? The dummies book was was not bad, actually, because the style that the dummies people like is very similar to the kind of style you'd use for blogging. It's very conversational. It's quite lighthearted. You, know, you throw in a few jokes, lots of bullet points, lots of bold text. Actually, it was a really, it was a really good preparation for writing something like that. I mean, that's quite a specific, you know, unless you're very keen to write a dummies book, I wouldn't say blogging is necessarily a great training ground. I think the thing I found tough was, was just to kind of churn out a lot of material for the book in a, a very short space of time. I think I was turning in a quarter of the book every five weeks. So it was pretty tight. And in my deadlines were Mondays. So inevitably, I'd spend the whole weekend <laughs> trying to get my material finished. Um, but it, it, was a, it, was a good, it was a good experience. And as I say, I think the blogging helped. There are differences. Uh, I think at times I had to just kind of be comfortable with taking more space to say things than I would have been able to do in a blog post because you can get very tied into that sort of 500 to 1,000 word format. But yeah, it was not, a, it's not as tough a transition as I might have, might have feared it would be. How about for Lycopolis? That was quite different. That was, that was fiction. And I think fic- fiction is 10 times harder. To write competent nonfiction is honestly not that hard. I mean, I've seen a lot of writers, you know, this process. To write a decent blog post, you know, you need something to say, you need to structure it well, you need a good hook at the beginning, you need, you know, a good close at the end. But it's something, it's kind of craft, you know, you can learn that. I think fiction is much more art and it's a messier process for me. And to write a novel, which is, you know, 70,000, 80,000, 100,000 words, there's just so much to kind of keep in. And you can't just write an outline like you would for nonfiction. So for me, I mean, I think Lycopolis is some of my, my best work. You know, it's, it's not for everybody. It's kind of quite a niche sort of uh, urban contemporary type fantasy genre. But I think some of my very best writing and my best thinking has kind of gone into that. Uh, but for me, the nonfiction has paid the bills and has been considerably easier in terms of sort of mental exertion. Yeah. So when did you finish Lycopolis? Wow. So I started it in 2008. I guess I finished, I finished it in 2011, November 2011. I published the book and it had been through about four drafts and a professional edit and, and proofreading and, and all sorts by then. Uh, so yeah, that was, that was a kind of three year process to get just that one book out there. Do you have another fiction work in, in process? I have a sequel in the works, but sadly it has, it has been very, very stop-start due to having children. And, and Yeah, I'm disappointed because uh, the ebook fiction world has bloomed in the last few years and I, I was just kind of catching the wave with, with Lycopolis and now I'm, I've fallen way behind. But, you know, there's, hey, there was more in life. <laughs> Than that, and yeah, I hope to. So I hope to get this second book out there quite soon. It's it's been to my editor. Um, I'm just kind of making some final revisions to the manuscript, so I'm hoping sometime in the next few months. This is a great segue because here you are, right? You've got the publishing um, publishing ebook for dummies book coming out. You've got Lycopolis. You've got a lot of the momentum from a lot of the guests and staff blogging. Um, that you had going on, and then this thing happened, right? <laughs> um, Allie, you had Kitty first, right? So, yeah, I had Kitty. So, yeah, I was just turning in my, my dummies book to the, to the editors, and frankly, my mind had been totally on the book, not on, you know, starting our family, which was, which was something we wanted to do, and then kind of, um, you know, realized 
needed to take a pregnancy test. Um, whoa, <laughs> baby on the way. So very exciting, but it happened just a bit quicker than, than me and my husband had anticipated. So suddenly I was straight from kind of this really, really busy time on the dummies book, this really strong focus on that just thinking I was going to have a little bit of time to kind of get everything else moving again and then wham into pregnancy. Um, and yeah, and that was, that was a really, really exciting, um, time, but it's, it was very interesting. It kind of wiped my creative energies in a way that was not just about, you know, morning sickness and exhaustion, but I just, something about being pregnant both times for me has just made me not kind of have that urge to write, um, during the pregnancy. And I don't know if that's kind of hormonal or, or whether it's just that my focus has been on uh, getting everything prepared for the baby. It's, it's been a kind of interesting experience and it was not one that I had expected either. Talk us through what that's been like on the emotional side of your journey, not necessarily around motherhood, but again, keeping your business on management, knowing that you are just cresting into the wave of um, self-publishing, not like fiction becoming a thing that's actually viable in a, in a lot of ways at that point. You know, we've got ebooks, we've got all of that reaching a maturity, either, for instance, here's what I'm going to say, on the nonfiction side. That was reaching a point of maturity, right? And on the fiction side, that was becoming more mature, as in, in, as in you could actually do it. And then wham, you decide to like, you know, or, you know, you kind of sit out, sit that bit out for a bit. What's that been like for you? It's been harder than I expected. I guess, you know, when, when I talked to my husband, Paul, about kids, you know, we, we discussed this for for gosh, years. I mean, since well before we were married, we were talking about, you know, what did we want in terms of our family? And we've always agreed we wanted children. And I guess our feeling was, okay, you know, we'll have a couple of kids close together, take, take a few years to just focus on that and then get back into things. And I really thought I could kind of take three years to just, just be a mother and, and maybe kind of just keep my business ticking over. And that has actually been really challenging for me. I was really enjoying going to conferences. I was enjoying speaking at conferences. I was just kind of getting comfortable with being maybe in the public eye a little bit in, you know, in my very kind of small way, um, with my little handful of blog readers and things. And, uh, yeah, so that was hard. I think with Kitty, it was, it was okay because Paul did a lot of the childcare when she was very young, uh, just because of the way his, his kind of academic, uh, life has been working out. He had, he had more free time back then, but, once she became a toddler, I was doing more of the childcare again. And certainly since having Nick, uh, two children is just a whole different ball game. And when Nick was about six weeks old, um, yeah, about six weeks or so, we saw the health visitor. So in the UK, we have um, health visitors who just come and kind of check on, you know, how you're doing. And she asked how I was and, and she, she was kind of asking in terms of mental health, you know, what was I looking forward to? And I said, I'm really looking forward to getting back to work. Um, she was kind of concerned, <laughs> but I tried to explain, you know, I really, really love my work and, and I miss it. And it's, you know, it's a big part of my identity. So, so becoming a mother is one of the most wonderful things I've done. It's one of the, I think it has probably been the hardest thing I've done. It has been the biggest, the biggest change in my life, um, you know, I think before this, probably the biggest change was kind of going to Cambridge and starting my degree in English literature at 18. You know, that was a big, a big shift. Um, but just becoming a mother, just everything, everything changes. And, and the lack of full control over my time has been hard for me. I'm somebody who likes control and the, the very limited time to, to do my work has been, it's been logistically a challenge, but it's definitely been emotionally a challenge. And I think it's still one that I am working towards finding a, a kind of balance on. A lot of creative women that I've talked to have hard, a hard time balancing sort of the positive emotions that they feel about being a mother and with the relationship with their child. And for lack of better words, the negative emotion or the frustration, the sometimes resentment, sometimes the guilt that comes up with being a mom and trying to work and trying to do all the, like you're just torn in so many different ways. Um, has that been something that's been, um, been a challenge for you? And if so, how have you sort of processed that or worked through that? Yeah, I think there's been part of me that's that sort of said, you should be happy being a mum. You know, you should be happy just taking care of your kids full time. Wouldn't life be easier if you were just happy to look after the kids and not worry about work and not do your writing? And 
that's not true for me. I think for some people, they they feel a calling to be a parent, you know, for some, not necessarily just women. I'm sure some men have this calling too. They want a family with lots of kids. They want to to kind of devote their energies and their time to to the kids and and they pour their creativity into that. For me, that's that's not how it works. And it has been it has been a struggle to sort of to kind of admit that to myself and to try and not feel guilty that I want time away from my kids. You know, not feel guilty that I that I take some time. So last Saturday I went round to my mum's house and I kind of hid there for five hours while I wrote on my novel. And I left my husband and my father in law with the kids. And Actually, I felt really good about it until until the evening when my, my toddler, my daughter, refused to go to sleep and wanted me to stay in her room all evening because I guess she had missed me. Um, and that was frustrating. You know, that was that was difficult because I was I was kind of torn between, you know, frustration with with my toddler and and feeling kind of the guilt of, you know, I shouldn't have gone out all day. And, and now she's worried I won't come back. And you know. um, I think it's hard. I think there is a lot of pressure on parents and and particularly on mothers to to kind of be perfect, you know, to get it all right. I think, I think a generation or two ago there was maybe a bit more pragmatism. You know, life has to go on. Um, people had to work, and and if that meant the kids had to amuse themselves for a bit, or you know, they were parked in front of the TV. Hey, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna be the end of the world. Um, so definitely with the second kid, <laughs> I've been a lot more relaxed about you know, hey, you know, you can watch some TV. Um, and I think I'm recognizing that for me to be a good mother, I need to have some time to myself. I need to do some writing. And I also want my, my kids to grow up, particularly my daughter, to grow up seeing that, that women can work, that women can do good work, that they can, they can be in the, in the public eye, they can travel, they can speak, they can do all of these things. And it is not just the case that, that mum is the person who has to be there every day at the school gates. Uh, who has to tuck you in every night because, hey, dad can do that just as well. And, or, you know, or, or you know, childminder or nanny or auntie or whoever it might be who helps out. And it's, it's tough. And I, I think this must be a struggle for every, every mother and every parent just to, to um, allow yourself the time that you need, the space that you need, the, the, creative outlets that you need and not to not to be sort of sucked into this myth that parenthood in itself should be enough because i think for 90 percent of people it is not yeah and well with without giving percentages it could be 99 percent if you're in that one percent sure like, just, yeah but i'm just saying that point like it's you know I, I think the point here is being conscious about your intentions with with how you want to show up as a parent and as a person so on and so forth and that can be exceptionally hard to do because of the aforementioned pe- pressure that you mentioned about, um, you know, where we are today. And just, I didn't live then and I'm not a parent. So I, I don't have a whole lot of legs to stand on when it comes to this. But what I do know is we now live in a 24-7 world when it comes to demands. Um, phones, text, you know, all those different things where we used to be able to get away at least to ourselves a little bit easier than we can now. Like, remember when, like, People would have to leave. Well, when there wasn't even answering machines, like you would just call and people wouldn't know you called, right? <laughs> they were there. <laughs> they, there was no one. There was no answering machine. They didn't know you called, and so it was just different then, right? Um, so I think it's just harder to carve out that space for yourself, whether you're a parent or not, um, than it, than it maybe was back in the day. I think you're right. Yeah, I think this is probably just a larger cultural cultural sh- shift. I think social media also has a lot to answer for. It's very easy on, you know, Facebook or Pinterest or what have you to see other people's great parenting and, you know, you know other people post pictures of their adorable children when yours are screaming, and <laughs> not sleeping or something. Um, I try and post about my less than great moments as well. <laughs> just like that other mums know and other dads, you know, we all go through it because, yeah, it's just very easy to just kind of buy into this creative narrative of, of parenthood. Um, that I don't think matches up to reality. And I think some of those people are just kind of reluctant to speak the truth because there can be this sort of small subset of parents who shout you down saying that, you know, you should be kind of, oh, love every moment. You know, you should enjoy every single moment while they're young because they're really young for so long, which which I, I, I'm sure in a few years I'll be looking back and thinking how quickly it went. But but trust me, when you're in the kind of day-to-day and the moment-by-moment, moment, sometimes all you can see is the, you know, the hour ahead and sometimes the hour looks very long or very hard. And it can be tough to just really remind yourself to to enjoy your children while they're, while they're small. 
Well, we're all about speaking the full ranges of truth around here, right? So there's a truth about it being a, a blessed time and it being so short, but there's also this other truth that happens for creative people or more specifically you. Is like while this is going on, you've got this writing that you want to do. You've got this, you know, this work that you want to do and get to. And on the one hand, it's this beautiful period to really take stock of. On the other, you want to get back to work. So speaking of getting back to work, what has been some of the more challenging aspects of doing that? I think the thing I find hardest now is getting time that I'm kind of guaranteed not to be interrupted. Uh, but we've been better on that. The last, the last couple of weeks, um, my daughter is now quite well settled in nursery. We've got a better routine for who's taking care of the kids when. And I've been getting some kind of really solid, uninterrupted working time, and it has made a world of difference. But you know, just in the kind of day to day, it's sometimes you kind of sit down and you think, okay, I can knock off a few emails or I can, I can do some work on my novel or my blog or whatever it is. And, you know, inevitably there, there are going to be times when something happens, you know, one of the kids is sick or, or, you know, there's, there's something, there's some kind of like minor emergency and you have to stop and you, and you get out of the flow. And, you know, you've written a lot about this, Charlie. It is really hard to, it, particularly with creative work, you know, if you're in the middle of writing a blog post or, or a chapter of a novel or a short story or a bit of your ebook or whatever it might be, and then you kind of have to stop and do something else, then just getting back into it is tough. And sometimes just starting it is tough because if you think, hey, in 10 minutes, I'm, I'm bound to get interrupted, just making yourself sit down and begin anyway can be, can be tough. So that's been hard. Um, I think the other thing that's been hard is just sort of, it's always been like standing at the edge of, you know, say, like a deep swimming pool or something and just kind of taking a breath and being willing to throw myself back in because much as there's been some tension and some challenge in being away from, you know, taking maternity leave, turning off my emails, not being on social media, um, I've missed it. But there's also been, as you say, there's been that kind of the, that that space, just not feeling like I've got to constantly be checking stuff and just, just throwing myself back into that. And now, you know, kind of keeping an eye on emails and answering blog comments because I've had a ton of guest posts go up and being on Twitter and being on Facebook. And I love it, but it just, just, Jumping back in was a, a more daunting moment than I might have imagined. I think it's the transitions. I think this is what I'm realizing. The, the thing that is tough is transitioning. So going from working, 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 then suddenly stopping on maternity leave, big transition. Um, then going back the other way, big transition. And that's the thing that has been a challenge because I think, you know, there's only so much you can do that kind of, you can ease in. I mean, you can a little bit, but inevitably it's going to be quite a big jump. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that. But um, so in April, I blogged every day, and my intention was to keep doing that. Um, reality did not match my intention, um, and I read, you know, so I've been thinking about like what what the hell happened here. And um, one of the things that that I've wanted to you know explore a lot more, and it's been kind of sitting in the blog, is just like the difficulty of transition spaces for some people. Some people love that transition zone; they love the newness. I'm not one of those people, um, and so and I I think I agree with you that in these types of things, in creative work, or you're talking about sort of the online work side of things, it's hard to be halfway in in the pool. Like you're either all the way in or you're all the way out. <laughs> And that in-between ground can be the hardest, you know? Yeah, I think that's that's definitely been one of the things that was just, just there's been a lot of kind of these tensions between, you know, things being wonderful. I love the children. I love my work. I love going back into my work. But there's, there's always this kind of, having one thing means giving up another. Or doing more of one thing means doing less of another. And this has been something that I have I have struggled probably all my life, certainly, you know, since since being eighteen and, and going to university. Just the acceptance that I cannot go to university and have the world's greatest social life and also have the world's best grades. You know, like I'm gonna to have to find some balance between the two. Um I can't be doing kind of three things at once. And it's I, I hate to miss out. I hate the feeling that Somebody, someone, somewhere is having a good time, and I'm not there. Or you know, somebody somewhere they are publishing their books, and my book is still languishing on my hard drive. And it has taken me a while to become comfortable with. I cannot do everything. You know, I can choose. I can choose some things off the menu, and I can enjoy them, and I can make the most of them. But I cannot have everything all the time. And I think there has been a bit of this kind of myth, particularly for mothers, that you you can have it all. You, you know, you, 
Of course, no one can have it all. It's great. Like, no one can have it all. You can't, you can't ever have everything. I think if you're someone creative, you know, and you, and you have lots of kind of different visions and ideas, and I'm sure you have this too, Charlie, you can't write every blog post. You know, you can't, you can't be everywhere. You can't even necessarily answer every email once you get to a certain stage of entrepreneurship. And, and I think that can be tough to accept, but yeah, you just have to find some sort of ever shifting balance it's almost like a dance, you know, you're just constantly kind of rebalancing different elements to, to make some blend that, that is maybe messy and kind of chaotic at times, but, but is what makes you happy and what delivers the best of you into the world. Whether that's, whether that's through bringing up your kids or whether that's through you know, putting your work out there on a blog or whether it's through speaking or whatever that might be. Yeah, I think, um, and when I'm at my best, I might not be at my best right now, but when I'm at my best is like I've learned about the upsides of displacement, which is that idea that you can only, you can't do everything at once. I'm, I'm talking to Allie right now. I can't be writing a blog post right now. Right. And the upside about that, when you really take it seriously is that it does help you choose the things that matter most to you. Um, you'll still get to a point of tension where you might have two things that really, really matter to you, like parenting and your business, right? They both really matter to you, but at least it lets you eliminate all the other BS that doesn't matter to you as much. And I think that's the beauty once we get to that space. But man, it's hard. It's hard to miss out. It's tough. And something I'm, I'm kind of thinking as we talk is I'm a writer, you know, so I'm, I'm kind of and I wrote fiction. So I'm I'm used to, to narrative and character and, and the way we do character arcs and characters struggle. You know, they have a goal and, and they struggle and they and they face obstacles and they become better people for it. And I think for me, maybe, maybe parenting has been that sort of process. You know, I've had to learn to be more disciplined with my time. I've had to learn to say no, which was something I always struggled with before. And amazingly, once you're pregnant and you're having a kid, you can say to people, I'm sorry, I'm no longer going to have time for that. And they can't come back to you. <laughs> people, like, it's the one excuse where people can kind of, okay, yeah, your kid has to come first. You know, <laughs> how could anybody argue with that? So I, I have given up stuff that I didn't want to be doing. I have paired back my business to the, my great work, you know, the core stuff that I love. I have ditched client work that, that I enjoyed, client work that was good, clients that have become my friends, but it was not my greatest work. And it was in some cases work that I kind of had, you know, for a while had been dragging along with me knowing that it was time for that to go. So it has been, you know, parenting is a tough process. I'm sure there are people listening who are, who are not parents, but who have other stuff going on in their life. That is a struggle. And it might be it might be a struggle for a good reason. It might be a struggle that feels, you know, why is this happening to me or something. But I think sometimes those times of struggle are are when we really grow. And and I'm starting to sort of see some of that growth in myself as I come back to writing. I think my voice, my writing voice, has changed. And I think I'm being more um, honest, more myself in my blog posts, less concerned, certainly on my personal blog, you know, on Ali Ventures, or less concerned with you know, is this a good blog post? Like, is this a good structure? Have I, have I hit the 10 rules for structure that I would tell other bloggers about? I'm more kind of concerned with what do I want to say? And how can I say something to people that encourages them? And how, how can this blog post make somebody's day better? How can this touch someone today? And I think I always had that kind of, you know, I, mean, I think that was always part of what I was doing, but I think I'm, I'm stepping more truly into that. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, hard as it can be, I think the times of struggle are the times that that we really need in our lives, and the times when when we are maybe fighting this kind of battle to to keep you know to keep a balance between two important things like like parenting and writing or you know whatever it might be for people. Those are the times when when we kind of find a new depth in ourselves or when we overcome something like I'm getting better at asking for help I think this is something you talked about Charlie that you find a challenge yeah I think once you become a parent you're just you're forced to ask for help and it becomes more natural um I have a long way to go on some things but I think definitely definitely having kids has sort of sped up my development in that sense I imagine so yeah it, all those different constraints and I think that's the thing is that displacement constraint all these challenges struggles like they all put these useful parameters on our energy that once you understand those parameters and what they allow you to do, you can actually harness some of that energy better. Once you, once you stop fighting with it, like the way I like to talk about it is like, we are all victims of gravity. 
right? It's going to happen. Like we can be mad about it or we can figure out how to design planes or we can figure out how to design things that they say, okay, this force is there, but what can we do to overcome that or maybe use that, right? So um, all that said, what's really got you excited these days? Like you're coming back into it, but what's what's new about your work or your career um, that, that's just got that newness to you? I'm really excited about the ebook world. I mean, I've been excited about this <laughs> since writing publishing ebooks for dummies, definitely, uh, which was kind of when it was all a little bit newer. I feel like self publishing, so I'm thinking ebooks here, particularly kind of Amazon Kindle and, you know, and, and Kobo and some of the other, the big names. It's really, really taking off. Um, it's, it's, very, very early days, I feel. And, you know, this is like the invention of the printing press. You know, e-publishing is so young, but it's becoming rapidly much more popular. I think it's becoming much more legitimate. And it's really interesting just kind of to see where this is going to go. As a reader, I love it. You know, I love being able to read on my on my Kindle Fire. I, and honestly, as a parent, this is, this is fantastic. You can read like while you're lying in the kids' room, singing them to sleep. <laughs> you can read, you can read in the dark on a Kindle Fire. It's brilliant. Um, and as a writer, I love it because it gives me full control over what I want to do with my fiction. And, you know, a few years ago, I mean, at the start of my degree, which was 2008, I was, I was very much focused on, okay, I'm going to look for an agent. I'm going to try and get a traditional publishing deal. I tried that before. It's, and, and, you know, honestly spent a lot of time and, and postage on getting nowhere very slowly. Um, it's, it's just really, really tough to break into traditional publishing these days. It's just so competitive. And I think because of the rise of e-publishing, uh, the just publishers are becoming more and more cautious uh, you know, they just have very limited budgets for kind of new authors and, and taking chances. But with with blogs and with ebooks, it it rests on you as a writer. And obviously, you can get help. You know, you can hire people to help you. But ultimately, you have full control over everything. And I think for some people, that's terrifying. That's fine. You know, you can still seek a traditional deal if you're a writer. But I think for me and for many more, that's that's really empowering and exciting. And just being part of this world and being able to kind of get back into that world is so exciting to me because I'm just really looking forward to seeing where that goes, um, particularly because I studied English literature as a student and uh, I just really want to kind of see where this is leads us in 10 years, in 20 years, you know, when, when my kids are grown up, when I'm, when I'm having grandkids, how different is the literary world going to look? And that, that fascinates me and excites me. You know, you mentioned earlier about blogging in the playing field there. We, we see a certain, we see the same thing going on with, with publishing at this point. And I know that there are going to be some writers and creative people like, Melissa Dinwiddie, who is going to be on episode um, 35, the one right before this one. Um, no, two, two before this one. Um, she mentioned something that, that I've been thinking about because it's been bugging me. It's like the reality is if you're not publishing something nowadays and you, you're really just telling yourself an excuse and you're letting that whole head came gum into it. Because whether it takes you two months to finish that novel, many people do it in NaNoWriMo, like there's almost no reason why you can't publish um, given time, right? If you're not working on that. Now, I understand parenthood and all sorts of, I understand life, I really do, right? When I'm talking to a mother here, right? But the reality is there are no gatekeepers. There's nothing keeping you from doing that except for the stories that you're telling yourself. Yeah, I agree. I think... I think I see this with a lot of writers that that people are afraid. I mean, people are sometimes afraid to even submit their work for a competition or even share their work with a, a group of writing peers, you know, a workshop group. And I understand that fear because because often our work comes right from the core of who we are. Um, I mean, with my nonfiction, I'm kind of less precious about it. With my fiction, it's tough because, you know, it's it's you kind of pour things that you find interesting or things that you find cool. And then what if someone reads that and they say it's rubbish? Or what if someone reads that and they just say, that's really weird. Like, how could you want to write about this? And I don't, you know, that's never happened to me really. But I think there's always this fear that that people will kind of judge your work and in doing so, they will somehow be be judging be judging you as a person or be judging your creativity or your, your abilities and your talents. And I mean, it's a valid fear and I understand why people are scared. But you could spend your whole life 
being afraid and you could spend your whole life trying to revise one short story to the point where you felt it was perfect and ready to publish. I mean, trust me, nothing I've ever published has been perfect. You know, no blog post I've written has been the perfect blog post. Like, this, none of these are, you know, I mean, maybe like Plato has some blog posts that's the perfect blog post, like some form of the blog post. Um, yeah, I, I, do not, I do not think I'm coming close to the form of the blog post. However many, you know, however many you know, pieces of advice I read. I mean, there's, there's no such thing. There's never going to be anything perfect in this, in this world in that way. Um, you just have to kind of accept that, that good is better than perfect. You know, if something is published and it's out there, if, if somebody reads your, if one person in the whole world reads a blog post that you, it's not worth having published it. You know, if, if one person reads your novel and, and they love that novel and, you know, they read it again and it gets them through a time in their life when things were tough. And, you know, I've had this with books. I've had times when, when things have been hard and escaping into fiction has really made a difference or it has made me see something in a new way or it has given me a courage that I, I might not otherwise have had or it has just made me kind of think, wow, other people have this worse. <laughs> I could be like running for my life or something, you know. Um, if something that you write could have that impact on somebody, who are you to, to deny that to the world? Who are you to say, it's not perfect, somebody might not like it, I can't put it out there? Um, yeah, I just, I just passionately feel that everybody, who, you know, every writer is writing something that somebody somewhere is going to find worth reading. And with the internet, somebody somewhere is going to find your work. You know, this is not like, it's not like the old days of self-publishing where you printed a load of books and you sort of hawked them around writers' fairs or something. You know, there are, I mean, and what, however kind of niche your interests, you know, whatever you blog about or whatever you write about in fiction or, or whatever you're, you speak about, somebody else is going to be interested in that. So I just, I wish people would kind of, kind of accept that it's fine to feel afraid and it, it's fine for your work to not be perfect and it's still okay to put it out there and and usually the worst that will happen is is you know is, is kind of like nothing you know and it's so I'll tell you this I was really scared of labor <laughs> whereas I got pregnant with Kitty and basically for the whole of the pregnancy I was terrified about giving birth you know I was convinced it was going to be like uh, you know 24 hours of agony it was going to be you know, the most painful thing ever because people say you know childbirth is so painful and and I just thought, I, I, do, I do not have a good tolerance for pain. I was really scared. And actually, um, and, I had, and I had not the easiest of labours with her because she went quite overdue and I had to be induced. But it was nowhere near like, as bad as I thought. In fact, it was, it was quite a good experience in many ways. You know, I got through it. I, I, I was fine. I, I had some gas and air. Um, I didn't have to have an epidural. I, yeah, it was, I had a natural birth. Um, it, was, it was so much easier than kind of my fears and I just magnified my fears to such a big thing and I think writers do this you know I don't think this is just expectant mums I think they think you know I will put this book out there and people will hate it or something and and they've maybe heard some horror stories and honestly you know it, it's probably not going to be anything like what you what you fear and it could be absolutely wonderful you know I got a baby at the end you could you know, you'll have a book at the end and it could be out there in the world and and when that, when one stranger who you've never known before emails you or, or tweets you and tells you how much love what you wrote, that makes it so worthwhile. And it makes you realize that actually maybe you are good enough after all. So, so please, if anyone's listening to this and they're afraid, please just, just do it anyway. You know, just like tweet me if you want and I will, I will encourage you to tell me that you're scared and I will say just, you know, go ahead and do that because maybe the world really needs that. Maybe one person out there really, really needs what you have to give. And, and you, you know, and, and frankly, there's a sort of, there's a kind of slight arrogance as an environment to sort of say, oh, but no, I, I can't possibly, what if somebody doesn't like it? I'm afraid. Well, you know, maybe, maybe somebody else's need has to be greater than your fear. Maybe you just have to get that out there and you just don't know where that might take you in, in a year or five years. That's fantastic. You wrote a guest post many years ago. That said, I believe the title of it is Every Blogger Starts from Zero. I remember that one. I like that one. <laughs> I quite like that one, too. And Thank you. And on that same point, like every writer starts with zero. You start with zero readers. Every writer does that. Every creative starts with zero people who like their work. That's not a barrier to keep you from starting. 
Absolutely not. And every writer, I mean, everyone starts at zero words. Like Stephen King, when he writes a book, he still starts at zero words. That's again, that's not that's not a barrier. Sure, it takes a lot of words to write a book. Hey, it takes quite a lot of words to write a blog post. But you know, if you write, if you just kind of keep writing word after word, you get there. Yeah. Another trick that I've done on that one is I just assume that people won't like it. It's like, oh, there are people <laughs> who won't like this. I am going to get one star reviews. There's going to be someone that calls me an asshat. That's going to happen. Okay. That's yeah, that's, over. I, I think that's how you know you've made it as a writer. Like, I, once you get one star reviews and once people leave comments and say, you know, they hated it and you're rubbish, then, then, <laughs> then you know that you've got kind of big enough to get that level of attention. Um, and if you go and look at any book on, I mean, go and look at Fifty Shades of Grey and the number of one star reviews that Fifty Shades of Grey had. But hey, E.L. James is not complaining. She's rich. <laughs> so did those reviews hurt her? No way. Like if anything, they probably stirred up more kind of interest and controversy for the book. So I think, you know, those, those one star reviews and those negative blog comments, they have the meaning that you assign them as a writer. You know, if you tell yourself that that one comment means that you are rubbish and that your work is terrible and that you should, you know, crawl into a corner and, and die, then, then sure, it can have that power over you. If you tell yourself, like, you know, this is one person on the internet with, with their own stuff going on. So I've sometimes had comments where I realized, for whatever reason, something I wrote just kind of triggered something off in someone's brain. You know, they were having a bad day or, or it just, they kind of reacted. And I just happened to be the thing in their way reacted. It's not personal. Um, I think once or twice I've even like just sent a commenter an email to say, hey, I'm sorry that this kind of bugged you so much. And they've got back to me and apologized and said like, sorry, I was having a really bad day. Like, you know, this... You know, so it's very easy to just read a million things into something that might have just been somebody's like little throwaway moment where they just snapped for no apparent reason at you. Um, it has the meaning that you assign to it. And, and it is really stupid to think that, you know, your one bad comment or your one negative review outweighs the hundred good comments or the hundred good reviews. Like, why should that person's opinion be worth a hundred times everyone else's? I understand it and I don't at the same time. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It is tough. Yeah, yeah. Alrighty. So wrapping up, um, what's the most unanticipated challenge that you're currently facing? So, wow. Right now we are getting ready to move house. So this is an unanticipated but delightful challenge. Uh, my husband has PhD funding for, for uh, the autumn, so the fall for you Americans. Um, we are so excited because he has been, you know, really working towards doing his PhD for several years now. And the funding is now in place for it and we can go ahead. And we would have really struggled to afford this with, with the two kids. It would have meant me looking after them and trying to work and him doing the PhD part time. And I mean, Charlie, you know, you're still doing a PhD part time. I think you know how tough this can be. Mm -hmm. um, so this makes the world a difference. However, the funding is in Leeds, uh, which is a city in the north of the UK. We currently live in Oxford, which is sort of the middle of the UK. Okay. So we're going to be moving. Um, it would be about a three and a half hour commute for him otherwise. And we just figured that would be so disruptive to family life. So we are going to be moving. Um, kind, yeah, we two months ago, this was not on the cards. In two months time, we're going to be in our new house. So it's, so it's kind of a challenge. Um, it's gone really, really smoothly. We have been incredibly lucky. We have sort of landed on our feet. We found a house we love really quickly. Um, because of the crazy way house prices work here in the UK, we're actually going to be like making a lot of money just by moving out of our smaller house in Oxford to our bigger house in Leeds because just the house pricing is, is crazy. Um, so it is a wonderful opportunity, but also just this kind of like logistic challenge of getting everything packed up around the kids and sorting out sort of childcare in the new place. And, and yeah, so it's going to be a wee bit disruptive to my work, but I'm just hoping that we can kind of, we can just carry on with some level of stability and me just carving out some solid time in the midst of that. So exciting, exciting and unexpected challenge and Hey, maybe that maybe that's some of the best things in life. You know, they just they they kind of come up, and they're things that are wonderful, but they weren't things you saw coming a few months ahead. That's fantastic. Yeah, you're all about the disruptions nowadays. Yeah, it's but I'm getting better at it. You know, I think I'm somebody. I, I think I used to be more um, kind of concerned about change, more more leery of change. Um, I'm still somebody who doesn't, you know, if plans change suddenly, like if I have plans and they got to change suddenly, oh, that's, that's tough for me. Even if like, you know, what we're planning for dinner has to kind of change suddenly. That kind of, that kind of bugs me. <laughs> I like to know what's happening, but I'm, I'm just getting better at, at kind of 
seeing that some things matter and some things really don't. And if sometimes the little things just have to kind of slide by for a bit, then that's okay. Um, the bigger picture is still there. And something I learned many years ago, which, is, which has always helped me, is to think, will this matter in five years' time? Because, like, nearly always no. <laughs> like, some things will matter, you know, like if I, if I kept my kid healthy and, and it, like, fed and, and stuff, that will matter in five years' time. But, you know, if I, if I maybe kind of carried on with my career, that will matter in five years' time. But, the, you know, if I missed replying to someone's email, hell no. <laughs> like, you know, no one's going to remember tomorrow, let alone in five years. So I think that's just, that's just one thing to remember. The other thing I've been remembering recently, this was a quote that my, my friend and former client, Barry Demp, sent out on his, his um, mailing list. He has a list, The Quotable Coach. And the quote he sent out was, um, some people would love to have your bad days. And every time the kids are kind of acting up and things are tough, I think there are so many people out there who would love to have two children. There are so many mums and dads out there struggling because, you know, they have been trying for years to have kids or for whatever reason, you know, they, they are not able to have the children that they would we'd dearly love to have. Or, you know, if things are going kind of badly with the business, I think there are so many people out there who would love to be able to be working for themselves. There are so many people out there still in their day jobs, which maybe they've been struggling with for years and they, you know, they cannot leave, who would love to have that, you know. And it's just, it kind of puts things into perspective to realize how good we often have it without, and, I, and I'm so guilty of this, you know, how good I have it, how lucky I am without always appreciating it. Yeah, there's a good six billion people in the world that would change, place, change places with us at any given point in time. Yeah, and that's, that's amazing and humbling to remember. Yeah, um, actually quite more, but I'll not get into demography. Um, alrighty. So if people remember nothing else about you and your work, um, what's the one thing you want them to take away? I want them to remember that if I can do this, you can too, because I'm no better than anybody else. I'm no, no cleverer. Um, I don't have you know any better contacts or anything like that. And I'm, I'm certainly not, a, I'm not a very brave person. I'm, I'm quite introverted, but I've, I've done this, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a writer, I'm a mum, I'm, I'm running my own business. Um, if I can find the courage to do that, if I can, if I can do that, you absolutely can too. Um, there's, there's nothing that should stop you. And you are every bit as capable as me and every bit as capable as the authors or the bloggers or the entrepreneurs who you look up to and admire. Um, and just whatever it is that you want to do, please don't be held back by thinking that you are not good enough because you are good enough and you will never know until you try it. If you have to, try it to prove to yourself you're not good enough because you might just surprise yourself. You might find that you are after all. Fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us today, Ali. Thanks, Charlie. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Okay, listeners. So let's start from the baseline that you are absolutely good enough. What story have you been telling yourself about that and what ways can you maybe see if that story is not true? Give yourself a shot. And until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to the Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, Creative Giant.